Hi, and welcome back to another edition of Lift and Tilt, where a material handling podcast focuses on the issues of the day affecting uh, you know, the supply chain, material handling, uh, and manufacturing industries that, uh, that, that are part of uh, kind of the, the material handling ecosystem. I'm your host, Kurt Guttner. Uh, normally, I'm joined by my lovely wife and co-host, Mandy Guttner. Um, she has a real job, so she wasn't able to join us today. So we won't be able to hear uh, you know, all her lovely thoughts, and we, we know that she's the brains of this operation. So um, you, you'll have to you know, forgive me and, and listen to my rambles today. All right, so, so what are we talking about today? We're going to be talking about the Internet of Things. For those of you guys that don't know what the Internet of Things is, uh, it's kind of a, it's a movement to uh, basically digitize and revolutionize like material handling, uh, manufacturing, any kind of the kind of industrial uh, industries that you think of. And, and what it is is about making things interconnected uh, using you know cloud-based uh, sensors and software, so that. Uh, the machines that you have on the floor working for you are communicating with your, you know, your warehouse management system, uh, your uh, business ERP system. Uh, it, it can talk to your service dispatch system, um, your accounting system. Basically, all of this data is interconnected. It can use that information to help make uh, decisions or recommendations of what it thinks that you should do uh, in terms of ordering. Uh, it can help you make decisions in terms of uh, operationally, like how many widgets you need to produce today. Uh, it can alert you to let you know that the machine uh, on you know line two uh, is exhibiting um, you know symptoms of, of uh, some type of an issue that needs to be serviced, um, and and hopefully. Um, let you know when you know it thinks it can make it to the end of the shift and that at the end of the shift you know you should go ahead and perform a shutdown have servers come out uh, work on it uh, so that you limit the amount of uh, downtime that you have now the reason I kind of uh, got into this uh, is there was an article that came out in industry week uh, and in the title of the article is still struggling with uh, IOT or IOT which is internet of things um, ask a farmer, and it talks about um, how agriculture is util- utilizing kind of the Internet of Things to kind of revolutionize their industry. You know, it's a um, it's a parallel between kind of the industrial industries that we talked about earlier. Um, in that, you know, it, it wasn't always kind of a um, an internet or technology driven industry. So, you know, they're trying to make the um, the claim that you know this is what you need to look at uh, as kind of a case study of, of what could be um, because if I'm being honest you know the industries we talked about material handling manufacturing warehouse distribution all of those industries are um, I don't want to say behind the times but at least the time that I've spent in those aren't up to what I would consider kind of a, a modern business operation now I entered the material handling industry around 2015. And, uh, you know, when I, when I got in, I've always worked on kind of the backside in the operations area uh, or administration area. So, you know, I've never been, you know, one that's out on the floor or, or, you know, utilizing equipment or what have you. But looking kind of at the back office structure, uh, the type of software that was being used, how things were being done, paperwork being shuffled, whatever it might be, I was absolutely shocked at how 
the company uh, that, that I work for, which has been in business for, you know, 35 plus years and is one of the, the leaders in our area at how they how they ran and how they operated. Um, because the things that they were doing were things that I saw at the end of the late 80s and early 90s. And, you know, here it was 2015. Um, and to me, it was just shouting for like, you know, update me. There, there's a lot of opportunities here to, to gain efficiencies, um, not only from an operational standpoint, but from a financial standpoint, uh, you know, cash flow, all the things that, that are really, you know, good to make your business uh, run more effectively, more efficiently uh, to make more money. I mean, that's ultimately what we're all here for. So, you know, I, I really kind of had an interest in, in this topic. Now, the article goes on to talk a little bit about farming, and it kind of describes how, excuse me, the um, the Internet of Things about, you know, they define what it is and um, how it's utilized in agriculture. So I'm going to read you a little bit of information. They say that... Um, Today's agricultural equipment essentially translate to smart factories on wheels, uh, including autonomous operations, sensor-backed data collection, as well as the innate ability to recognize and address potential issues on the fly. So what it's talking about here is um, you know, the combines out there, most of them are driven by satellites nowadays. Uh, you know, Most of the time there's obviously an operator in there. Uh, in case something goes awry, but um, it's pre-programmed. You know, the combine basically drives itself from point A to point B. It knows where it's supposed to turn. It knows how to avoid obstacles, um, and it, you know, it runs its operations, you know, autonomously. Uh, sensor back data collection. Um, if you look at a farm, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of sensors, but um, what I'm most familiar with is kind of the the irrigation and chemigation type properties that they have. So they have sensors in the soil that tell them, you know, what kind of chemical makeup is in the soil right now, uh, you know, what kind of water uh, has been distributed there. And based on that information, it's sending it up into into the cloud or to a server somewhere. And it's looking at all this data and it's making recommendations on how much water you should have based on the, the type of soil you have, uh, of weather that is predicted from the forecast. Um, it's looking at... Uh, based on the type of uh, crop that you have, you know, these are the types of things that, um, or seed that you planted. These are the characteristics of that and things that we should be watching out for uh, in terms of uh, disease uh, or pest that may, you know, uh, make your yield lower. Um, and it's making all of this these uh, assumptions and giving you a recommendation. And a lot of the systems, uh, the irrigation systems, uh, you know, one, you can control them from your phone, um, but they're smart enough that um, whenever, you know, like on the pivot irrigation systems, it's smart enough that as it goes through its operation where it's rotating, you know, 360 degrees, that it can say, well, in this sliver of this this 360 degrees, um, we need a different amount of water to be uh, distributed here versus everywhere else. Uh, you know, maybe this ground is drier. Uh, maybe this particular crop requires more water. Um, it, it's making those input decisions for the farmers. Uh, it might also, you know, make decisions on chemigation while it's watering. Uh, you know, maybe this part of the soil needs more nitrogen. So it's making all of these decisions for you, um, and it's reducing your, your overall input cost. Uh, because, you know, those are the things for farmers 
that, that they have to pay for. You know, you don't want to you don't want to overwater your crops if you don't have to. You don't want to use the expensive chemicals or what have you because that that all goes into you know your return on investment. How much money does the business make? So you know, their Internet of Things is helping to reduce that that input cost for them, uh, giving them. Um, you know, a better a better return on investment overall, but it's also producing higher yields for the farm, uh, which is you know ultimately what they need to do. Now, with all these pieces of, of smart equipment that are out there, you know, the real value from this also comes from the interconnectivity. So, you know, somebody that's sitting out there uh, in the cab is really kind of uh, like at a command center, basically. Because they can see uh, across, you know, this plot of land in which fields, which equipment's running, uh, you know, how fast it, each piece of equipment's running, uh, what process it's performing at that time. Um, they can see anything and everything. And they can see which pieces of equipment uh, are potentially needing service. Uh, even from, you know, the, the dashboard of this combine, you know, they can hit a button and request service. It, it automatically sends a, you know, alert to the, the local dealership and the dealership can come out and, uh, you know, make a repair so that they have less downtime. Um, and and that's really kind of a cost savings. And, and it's it's crazy because it, it may, helps them make decisions on things that are happening kind of on the fly, things that are that are changing. I mean, you know, what what's more uh, unpredictable than the weather? Uh, now your equipment and uh, you, you kind of the, the brains, this Internet of Things is kind of the brains of all of this, is helping you make smarter decisions um, on, when, when unpredictable things happen. So that's kind of the purpose of, of what they're doing. Now it goes on to talk about um, you know how John Deere went about building this, and kind of their their thoughts on what's to come, and how they're going to continue to do this. Um, their thoughts on what how this may apply to manufacturing or other uh, related type businesses. And one of the things that it talks about that they found out is uh, they call it pilot pur- purgatory. And you know, on the show, if you or you know the Lift and Tilt podcast show, if you've heard us talk about, you know, Robert and I say if you're if you're talking about autonomous, uh, you're you're looking at implementing these things. You don't want to do it to your entire operation. You want to find a small area that you can test this stuff in. One because you know you're going to reduce your cost, but two, you're going to find out really quick what works for you and what doesn't. The bad thing about doing it that way, in some cases, is that it becomes unscalable. It works really, really well in this one small area, but whenever you try to expand it to a larger area or to your business as a whole, it doesn't always come out the way that it did. It worked in the pilot, and so then you, you know, you have to retool again and retool again. But <clears throat> you know, they they talk about that and they give some ideas about you know how do you do that um, so that. You, you don't end up in this kind of, you know, pilot purgatory. Um, and it, it gives some examples. I said, first, you know, companies that have a very clear vision around Internet of Things, uh, embracing, you know, new revenue models, uh, you know, like let's say a, a large pump manufacturer who's using it 
uh, as an opportunity to embrace, you know, predictive maintenance. You know, that's their their goal. You know, he said those are those are really good uh, areas to to implement this type of technology. He said the second group, organizations that are trying to just kind of dabble in what's next, um, they don't know how to use it properly. They didn't spend the right amount of resources, whether that be financial or personnel or research, uh, to figure out you know how, if they were to do this pilot and it's successful, how would they scale it? And uh, he said, you know, that's really crucial as to whether or not this can work for, for your business or not. And, I, you know, I have a thought about kind of um, why manufacturing and some of these more industrial areas really haven't embraced technology to the level um, that maybe agriculture or some of these other industries have. And, and I think it comes down to a couple things. One, I think it's personnel and training. Um, I, I think when you look at um, the personnel that's in place in most of these these uh, these industries, they don't have the technological background to be able to um, to to utilize the the functions that are there. They don't have the expertise, and they don't even have people in place to say, "Well, here's where you need to go to to get that training." Um, or the ability to recruit those people. So, I, you know, I think that's kind of where it starts. You know, they don't have the right people in place to do that. The second thing is just the overall capital expenditure, the cost to retrofit an old machine or a new machine. Um, while that cost has been coming down, uh, you know, it, it's 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 a scary thing for, uh, you know, a CFO or a financial person to say, you know, we're going to go out and spend, you know, a couple million dollars to, to, to try this out. Uh, you know, that's not something you want to test. Uh, that's something you want to know for a fact that, hey, we can do this and it's going to work. Um, and I think that comes down to, you know, there's unproven success in, in many industries. Uh, you know, yeah, they've had success in agriculture, but um, where have they done it in manufacturing? Has someone that manufactures something like what I do, uh, have they been successful with this? And um, so I think there's kind of that lack of success stories. There's a lack of uh, standardization am- amongst manufacturing because, I mean, when you think about it, uh, manufacturing runs the gamut. I mean, you have textile, you have autom- automobile, you have electronics, and all of those require specializations. And so I think, you know, there's, there's um, a very human element to wanting to know that somebody that operates in a, the very same industry that you operate in uh, that does a very similar process to you is using something like that uh, and, and that it's proven that we're not going to just throw a whole bunch of money at something and not get a return out of it. Uh, particularly when you start looking at upper level management, I think there's even more of a kind of a human element to it. And uh, when those people that have reached, you know, kind of high level management that would be making these, these type of decisions, uh, they're a little bit older. They're probably a little bit more risk averse in their career. I mean, who wants to risk uh, the type of salaries that they make on uh, trying to revolutionize an industry when what you've got is at least working right now? You know, there's there's a let's not rock the boat type of mentality at that point. Um, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I think that's it's the truth of the matter. That's that's what what happens now. I love this article, and any of you guys have listened to the podcast know that uh, I love uh, technology. I love uh, the things that it can do and, and how it can revolutionize. 
industries as a whole and make businesses run better and more efficient. And I think those things are all great. But probably what I might even love more than that is to read the comment sections of any article. So whenever I got done reading this article, the first thing I did was open up the comment section. And when I got to reading the comments, there was uh, a very, very strong sentiment amongst the people that had, had left a comment that it wished Industry Week would spend more time uh, seeking out balanced perspectives and um, you know knowing more of what they're talking about because they felt that this was a piece that was pushed um, by you know people that make this Internet of Technology things possible. And they mentioned an article uh, that said it shouldn't cost an arm and a leg to fix your tractor. And so I went out and I found uh, this this article. And the actual name of the article was, It Shouldn't Cost the Farm to Fix a Tractor. And it's actually a story um, about a farmer named Barry Hovis. He's from Small Cape, Gerardo, Missouri. He's a cattle farmer. Uh, he grew up as a cattle farmer. He's you know worked on equipment his entire life. And, uh, you know, he, he admitted that, you know, today's equipment is, you know, full of modern technology uh, that, you know, improves the efficiency, increases yields, um, and that all those things are great. But with all those digital, fe- digital, digital features that um, they require digital tools to fix them and that whenever he had something break, what he found out was that he couldn't work on it himself. Or that he couldn't find an independent, uh, you know, repair shop to work on it. And he said that this, he found out that this because, you know, all of the the modern OEMs, um, primarily John Deere, you know, all of this software they built in-house. It's all proprietary. Um, so they don't want to give you the software tools to be able to diagnose it. Uh, they don't want to give you the, the digital tools to be able to fix it. Uh, you obviously probably don't have the know-how to be able to do that. And that the only place that he could go to have his equipment repaired was to the dealership. And, uh, you know, he, he became very frustrated because he felt like he was being locked in. To, like, if you want to use this piece of equipment again, you have to pay whatever price that we demand uh, from the dealership. And this is the only place that you can go to have it fixed. Um, because if you don't, if you try to fix it with anything else... Uh, so you, you basically have to hack the software or have somebody that goes out and, um, you know, makes changes to it that's not a licensed technician, then you void your warranty. Um, and he, he's obviously, he was very, very upset about this. And so he and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of other farmers there in Missouri, um, probably from other places, uh, you know, they began calling on, you know, their, their legislative group um, and, you know, making requests that, uh, there be laws for right to repair. So, you know, if you buy a piece of equipment, you have the ability and a right to be able to uh, to repair that. Um, and so, you know, there's been this ongoing uh, legal battle between, you know, John Deere and other OEMs and farmers about whether or not uh, this ecosystem that they have created uh, is essentially kind of a monopoly. And so... When I looked at this, you know, I think that kind of the takeaway, not only for for businesses uh, that are considering using this type of, of, of Internet technology, but also for OEMs, uh, you know, the, the Toyotas, Crowns, 
uh, Heister, you know, people that make that Bastion, who you know uh, is an engineering company. They don't actually make the stuff, but um, you know, they're they're sourcing um, automation equipment and robotics for for businesses to to kind of look at this and say, okay, if we're going to go down this road, like if I'm a business. Now I have to be very, very careful about who I decide to work with because I want to make sure that um, I have the ability to, if you know, if working on my own equipment is important to me, then I need to be able to ask that question. But I also need to know that if I'm not going to work on it, that the people that I'm working with, uh, I, that I, I feel confident in having them as a business partner because it's, I'm in for the long haul. Uh, you know, it's not like buying an individual piece of equipment your entire operation will be based on this, you know, if you choose to go this route. On the flip side of that, if you're an OEM, how do you create a system that works the way you want it, uh, that that provides the value to the customer that, that you're looking for, that you can charge a, uh, a fee for that you just makes you profitable, but isn't gouging the customer, that isn't putting them in a situation uh, where you can take advantage of them? And how do you build that trust? How do you let that customer know that um, that that you truly are there to to give them a tool or a service that's going to help them, uh, but that you're going to do so in a way that is fair and just for them? So I think it's a, a very delicate balancing act, uh, and I don't know what the answers are to it, but it's definitely one that I think that is is worth considering, worth knowing, and just kind of having in the back of your mind because. With, with COVID, with all of the things that are going on right now, you know, automation is at the forefront of everybody's mind. If you're going to automate, kind of Internet of Things is kind of the, the next the next wave of that. Um, you know, I, it may be 15, 10, you know, it may be even 20 years before that's really kind of a, something you see in every single factory or material handling, uh, you know, type of industry. But it, it's definitely coming down the pike, something that people need to be aware of, something that people need to think about. Uh, and I'm not sure that most businesses are prepared to, to make a um, to make a, a business decision that's informed right now. Uh, definitely something to watch. Like I said, I think it's a it's an interesting topic. Um, I'm I'm hopeful that you know the technology will be used in the right way um, because I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Uh, but definitely something that you should think about. All right, guys. You know something I forgot to tell you when we started this, which we normally do every single episode. Is we have a drink while we're doing this, and I have been drinking, but I didn't tell you what it was, and I apologize for that. So I'm going to do it now. I have been drinking uh, coffee with rum chata. Now, rum chata, if you're not familiar with that, is a uh, it's a blend of rum, uh, real cream, uh, cinnamon, and vanilla, um, and uh, you know you just you just pour it in your coffee just like you would uh, any type of creamer. Uh, it has cream that's you know sourced from Wisconsin. Uh, you know, it has kind of this spiced rum, uh, it has cinnamon in it, uh, all these things. And it's, it's, it's very, very good. Uh, it's 13 over a little, little over 13 and a half alcohol by volume. Uh, you know, I put a little bit in my coffee this morning. Um, it has a very kind of a spicy note to, uh, to my coffee now with that, you know, kind of sweet cream taste to it. Um, so I've been enjoying that this morning. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the, the episode. You know, shoot us an email or a comment. Uh, you can do so on iTunes. You know, you know give us a rating. We we, we we love to hear from you guys. Uh, we Google. Uh, we're on Google Play, and 
I can't even remember. Basically, anywhere that you can listen to a podcast, we, we've got our uh, all of our 20-something episodes out there. I uh, hope you guys have a great day, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.